You're listening to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning, and welcome to Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word series. We're wrapping up a book of Haggai. Sandy, welcome back to the microphone. Thank you. It's always good to be here. We're calling this Chapter 3. Haggai <laughs> is a two-chapter book, so we usually have a wrap-up at the end of any study. And since this one was probably not the shortest of the multiple chapter books that we've done in both our style of dialogue and journey through the scriptures, it is, in fact, a short book. We spent a lot more time, I think, on Titus and Philemon just because there are so many contemporary issues, it seems, that are right at the surface of those two books. Mm-hmm. But Haggai seems to be firmly anchored in ancient history. But, of course, if you're Jewish— If you're somebody that understands the deep wound in your culture and your people over centuries, this book brings back to life something that seems like death. In fact, the word Holocaust was invented to talk about the things that happened with the Babylonian captivity and the return to the Promised Land and other kinds of major disasters that have befallen the Jewish people over the centuries that are living memories for them. Mm -hmm. I think at the same time, we have to look at the whole Council of Scripture and say, okay, Holy Spirit— What can you teach me through something that I have no idea about or that's something that I don't understand culturally? Haggai has a lot to teach us today just through listening to what God is saying to the people and addressing some issues that are not the exact same, but issues that we face intellectually, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and tangibly that they're going through. It also has to do with things that are collectively experienced. Right. Haggai is teaching us how the nation, how a people, how a kingdom responds to or should respond to God's counsel and his input, his word. I was reading a a meme a couple days ago about the difference between speaking something and doing something. Mm -hmm. You are what you do, not what you say. Well, okay. On the surface of that, it's a good bumper sticker. But when it comes to describing God, the two are inseparable. The word of God is God. Mm-hmm. Is God speaking? Is God doing? Mm-hmm. So when we look at the Word of God, we have a very proactive document here. Right. It is a living entity as far as I'm concerned. And theologically, I think it's accurate. The mm-hmm. Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So the expression of all of this counsel of God's Word that you're talking about came to life literally in the body and the brain, the mind, the spirit of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So we have to look through him at all of these scriptures because it's the closest lens we've got. Mm-hmm. We'll always be, I think, myopic looking back across centuries and not really understanding the culture or even the definitions or usage of words the way we read them or think we can read them mm-hmm. and translate them across those centuries. Jesus Christ, the living Christ, the spirit of the living Christ in us is that present and that near. So right. why not lead into him <laughs> and ask him to show us why what not? we have to learn and what we can reapply or apply for the first time in our lives, like the Israelites had to choose to do or not to do when they first heard that word. Mm-hmm. We also have to choose our response to the Holy Spirit through the scripture and through the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit through prayer and conversation and dialogue with others. Since this is wrap-up day for the book of Haggai, we wanted to go back and just kind of highlight some things that stood out to both of us and think through what about this book stood out to me so and why a few years ago, especially, did God direct me to the book of Haggai? because it seems very insignificant in the canon of Scripture. But I was reminded, again, when you and I went through this just this past few weeks, honey, that there is so much in this that speaks to me. And it's going to be really hard for me to just say, okay, this thing stood out 
that thing stood out. This is the lesson. That's whatever. It's going to be hard for me. But there's some things that I think are good reminders in here. And they were good reminders for me. And I have so much in my Bible highlighted and underlined and circled and arrows pointing to and stars <laughs> around. The, you know, so there's a lot of stuff about this book. It's amazing you still read that chapter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that I think I'm gleaning from. Okay. The first thing that I'm reminded of is that God is telling me, I'm with you. Hmm. Be strong and courageous. We talked about that last week about how... He reminds us to be strong and courageous throughout the scripture. But it's hard to be strong and courageous when you think you're just out there on your own, when you're just kind of in the wilderness Mm -hmm. or in the situation that seems really big and scary. But he says, I am with you. And he, he repeats that. Multiple times throughout these two chapters. I think it's important, though, to focus on the fact, like we mentioned earlier, that it is a book about collective action and collective response. In other words, revival or transformation, kind of like Jonah going to Nineveh. Mm. When he preaches his message, he says, this is the word of God, in that case, against you. And he says, you are these kind of people. Basically, God saying to the Ninevites, I don't know if you got the guts to repent and come back to me. (laughs) Because then if you did, you would know how great and merciful and kind I am. Mm And, of course, it was God's way working with that culture to say, this is what it's going to take to get them to rise to the challenge of submission. I do agree with you that it is a collective message to the people of Israel, to these people who have come back from exile and to the people that stayed behind in Jerusalem. I agree with that. However, I don't know what that's like in a sense of a collectiveness of being in exile and coming back. And yeah, you could say this is like for a church body or, you know, your small group people or whatever. But I tend to look at scripture through a very selfish personal lens and see what it speaks to me in my life and in my experience. In a decidedly individualistic culture like America is, of course, we're going to start there. Right. Our travels around the world and with Norman Share over decades and through our other ministry and relational opportunities we've had in the past 40 or 50 years of our lives, we've seen a lot of the world that many people haven't. God kept impressing on us over those decades how much his family is alive and well everywhere. And we call that the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he again was not saying it will soon come to pass that all these things will happen politically or whatever. He's saying the people, my people are right here. Mm -hmm. And when he recognizes that his kingdom is as far away as the end of your arm, We need to start looking more carefully at those that God has already established and has made firm, has made righteous with him. Absolutely. I agree with that. So I do believe that in different times that God speaks universally to the entire kingdom and says, this is the word I have for you, or brings the church's attention around the world to certain scriptures that highlight where they might be in this process of becoming unified or utilized by him or Mm -hmm. seeing great change or foment happen in the world itself and what their role is to play in this generation. Mm -hmm. Every generation does have a unique role to play. Right. But I think there's also a prophet in that generation. And like Haggai would be the prophet here. Haggai was moved. Moved by the Holy Spirit to speak these things before the children of Israel even had a clue about it. True. And so it's hard to look at scripture like this and say, okay, this is just for a collective group of people that are in corporate worship together or that are in a community together, and not to dig even deeper into what it means for my own personal walk with the Lord and my own personal life. Correct. I would say two things to this. One is 
people might raise a question of, well, where are the prophets today? And there are plenty of different denominations in Christianity that would say, oh, we have to have prophets, and the new revelation is the big thing. Let's find who God's prophet is. There are many more across the world that are in the kingdom that would say, if we take the word seriously, the prophet, Jesus Christ, has already come to us as close as our ear and our heart, Mm -hmm. and that he can reveal anything he wants to directly to his people. Kind of like when your phone goes buzzing off when there's a news alert or a weather alert or Mm -hmm. something. Everyone's Mm -hmm. phone gets buzzed at the same time. I think God kind of does that across the world. (laughs) Maybe so. And in our hearts and our minds, he pings something that if the church, the kingdom around the world is listening or wants to listen, that it can be a message to all of us collectively. And we'll be able to nod our heads and we hear that word come from somebody else's mouth. I I know exactly what Mm -hmm. you're saying. I, I felt that. I've prayed that same way this morning. Right. You and I have had the experience of saying, we were just reading that yesterday when you brought it up today, or I was just praying for that person that you just mentioned. Things like that happen. And I do believe that's the nudge of the Holy Spirit in this generation. It has been since the time that he says, I'm giving myself to you freely. My Mm -hmm. spirit can be with you always. Mm -hmm. So in that context, the specific message goes through the prophet to the people. And I think that's a neat way of putting it. The way the translation works in my NIV I'm reading here is that the word of God came through the prophet Haggai to the people. Mm -hmm. And every prophet brings a message and brings a clarification or a new revelation or reestablishment of truth, the real truth, not the one we want to believe that we make up, but the one that God says, this is it. So in light of what you're saying, then, does this book of Haggai speak on a deeper level to you other than just what he's corporately saying to the people of Israel? I don't know if I would be so bold as to say it's speaking deeper to me than to them. I mean, it obviously was to them. I'm looking over their shoulders. Exactly. But is there a message in this book that pricks your heart, that you glean from, hmm. that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about? Well, taking into account my position, which is centuries later in a different culture, reading across multiple translations back to what they heard and trying to imagine what their ears were hearing and what their hearts were feeling and how their will responded, I would say that the same temptations are alive and well today, and I experience them too. First program in the series, those who have been left behind, the left behinders, They did not get taken into captivity. We're not the ones that the powers of the world wanted. They were the leftovers, the ones they didn't think could even make the trip alive, the grandmothers and the babies and the infirm, or those were considered unworthy of being in a king's court. They were the dregs of the world, and yet they bootstrapped themselves over 70 years and reclaimed their position. It became a trading economy, and they got back involved with the international community. But they were also subjects of a different king. When he died or the kingdom fell... A new one came in its place. There was no real change in their circumstances. They just had a new sovereign somewhere else way out there that was ruling over them. So as far as they were concerned, it's just business as usual. And then all of these exiles come storming back that God had moved, sent them back to the promised land. And now they're left with all of these refugees or cousins. What do you do with all this influx of humanity, even if they're your blood, but they're crowding your style now? Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the word inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. 
Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. So as far as they were concerned, it's just business as usual. And then all of these exiles come storming back that God had moved, sent them back to the promised land. And now they're left with all of these refugees or cousins. What do you do with all this influx of humanity, even if they're your blood? But they're crowding your style now. You were the ones that stayed put. I see plenty of that happening in our world today, whether they're believers or not, often seem to feel like they're crowded. I really wish that other people would go away. Mm-hmm. And there's not a sense of welcome. Mm-hmm. And I would say the spirit of our time has been to turn away the stranger, the widow, the orphan. It's just not in our wheelhouse anymore to say, this is where we start. And Jesus said, that is where you start. You start with those I gave you to minister to, those who are suffering, those who are without, those who are taught to think less of themselves than he created them to think of themselves and to be. That's our world today. And I would say, unfortunately, in a good section of the kingdom of God, that's the kingdom. The Mm. kingdom has, in a lot of ways, turned its back on what God said through Jesus specifically to get started doing. Don't eventually grow into it. Start now. Yeah. Show me that you are a convert, that you are a disciple of mine by obeying my words. And so if the word of God made flesh says, this is the prime factor here. This is the driving motivation. This is the working ethic of the kingdom. Start here, like he does all through the epistles, build on that. And we completely ignore that. And we say, no, it's about our personal theology. It's about our own piety, the way we pray and interact with God. And it has nothing to do with other people. Are we really in the kingdom? I mean, I think it's a fair question. Or are we making up our own kind of kingdom that's only about me? Wow. And that, to me, seems to be the bigger issue in this generation. And I have to face that, too. I would very much like to shut off from the struggles or the the kind of conflicts that are out there that demand an answer, that demand my surrender to his will to actually do something about the things around me. And fact is, even here at home in the culture I live in, sometimes I feel like I'm helpless to Mm. do anything. I think that's a bigger issue for our generation as far as being the ones who've kind of shut the door Mm. on things. I see the generation behind us that's coming up Mm -hmm. into the world being way different than that. I see a lot of open doors and a lot of welcoming the stranger and advocating for the poor and justice-minded young people. And I think it's a beautiful thing. That doesn't answer my question, though. Okay, say it again. (laughs) (laughs) What about this book of the Bible that we've been reading for the last couple of weeks has impacted your thought process for your own personal life. I know you say, oh, it's not about me. It's not about me. But that's where we live in the Holy Spirit. It is a personal relationship. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to talk to us personally through Mm. the scripture and how it impacts our own personal walk with him, then we're building outside homes. We're doing exactly what the people of Jerusalem were doing. They're ignoring the essential, they're ignoring things. Yeah. the essential things of the internal work of the the, yeah. the temple of the I guess the what Holy I'm saying Spirit. is, I'm not trying to say that it's not about me means that I'm not involved. I say it's very much about involving me. Mm-hmm. But the message and the needs and the causes, the things that God is interested in me being part of, 
are not about me. They're not to satisfy me. They're no, not that's to, not what I'm asking. Right. You. I would say that many people, and you know, I talked about this earlier today as we walked, there's a spirit, I think is a real fallacy, which is when God says he is with us, it does not mean that it's a promise of avoiding suffering. Absolutely. And the people no. that are back in Jerusalem now know full well suffering of different types, abandonment or a captivity. But all of them have lost something major in two generations worth of human beings in their culture. And they're having to rebuild something that is not the same as it was before. It is going to be new. And when God keeps coming back to them saying, I know what you're thinking. I'm with you. Keep going. It may look like a pile of rubble to you today, but I promise you that if you will just finish what I've given you to do, there will come a day when. And then he gives us glorious picture about the revelation of his presence. And we would see that as a foreshadowing of Christ himself, mm -hmm. that God is prophesying on his self. He's not just giving a word to Haggai. Haggai is saying, there will come a day when. He's saying, God is saying to you, stick with it because. And there's not a whole lot of prophecy we read in the Old Testament where you get a prophecy that says, conditional statement, if this, then that. There are plenty of encouragements like that, but very few that are very specific prophecies that seem to come from God's lips directly. And Haggai's way he's phrasing this, the way God told him to tell the people, seems like, okay, Haggai, get out of the way. I got something I got to tell the people straight on right now. All of them. They all have a stake in this. I see a real personal, as you say, aspect of this. He's encouraging individuals to believe and to act like they're part of something bigger than themselves, and not just one of God's children, but one of God's chosen. The people that are chosen for this generation to do something significant in his kingdom which reaches across all time. And you want to know about personal? Yes, I do. I'm hearing him say, I'm with you through everything you are going through right now, and that it means something to me. So the transitions you and I are going through, and I would suspect that a lot of the people feel the same way because of what's gone on in their life for the past two or three years because of COVID and everything else. It's been greatly upsetting, upsetting in the sense of spilling over the cup. Mm -hmm. You know, we have not been able just to kind of retreat into our little corner and say, this is where we're going to hide out and just wait this thing out. We were literally thrown out into the world saying, you're going to start over while it's happening. And we're in the middle of that rebuilding right now. The temple of living God in our lives and our family is having to be built right now in a new place that we've not ever had to do it. Mm -hmm. So we're starting over ourselves in a place familiar to us. Over 25 years ago, we lived here, but so much has changed mm -hmm. in our lives and having raised kids. It's a new chapter for us. And frankly, at times it's scary. Yeah. But we have to be persistent. And I keep reminding myself, and you keep reminding me too, that we can't just stop. We have to keep plugging away and pushing forward, pushing through, because we are not going to have a house built and a life built here in Idaho until we actually follow through and mm -hmm. stay committed to it mm -hmm. and see the fruits of that. So that's his message to me, mm -hmm. if you want to hear it that way. That reminds me of verse 19 in chapter 2. It says, is there seed left unplanted in the storage barns? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> you it's put all, it all unplanted. But you must be patient. Yeah. The grapevine and the fig tree, the pomegranate trees and the olive trees have not borne fruit yet. But from this day on, I will bless you. So even while you're not sure what the crop's going to be like, God's saying, I will bless you. So what other kinds of blessings could be there? While you're waiting, what kind of blessings are there? That's what I would say my closing question mm. as we close out this series. What kind of blessings can there be while we're still waiting for the first thing we expected to happen that hasn't happened yet? Mm. Is there a blessing for now? That's a good question. 
I think the the Christianese in me wants to say, oh, everything is a blessing that God's provided for us. And just look around at the beauty that we live in, which we do live in a very beautiful place. Think of all the things that you have in your life that he's provided to you and for you and your family and what have you. But I think it's even deeper than that. For me, the blessing that I experience and that I want to continue to experience and that I want it to be my first thought Mm. is his presence. The real deeply felt knowledge that God is with us, that God is present, that I am with you. Is it always something you feel, though? I mean, like you reach out and hold this coffee cup in front of you, say, I'm experiencing this coffee cup and the heat and the warmth and the smell. No. What is it? If it's really there, but it doesn't have the same kind of substance as the things we touch, what is it? I do believe there are times that it feels very real and present, like Mm -hmm. the coffee mug. Mm -hmm. You know, that it is something that you feel and touch and taste and see and smell and all of that. All of your senses are involved. But I also believe that it is a choice of knowing. Hmm. If I can coin a phrase. It's a will. Yeah. yeah. An act of will. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is it just making it up then, expecting God to fill the hole? Well, that's between you and God, I yeah. suppose. If it's an act of will, it's a choice. But is it a choice we can really make without God's help? I think any choice that we make moving toward God, moving toward his perfection and his holiness has to be led by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Directly. Directly. Yeah. Sounds scary, though. If you are concerned or there's an unease in your soul that where you're headed is the wrong direction, even if everybody in your church is acting or talking this way, but you've sensed something's not right there, to turn a different direction may feel like you're living in an upside-down world. Absolutely. Or that you're falling on a well and while people are saying, that's up. You know, sometime gravity is going to have its sway because it's something that's immutable. You're going to hit ground sometime. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that our compasses can't be reset or that the Holy Spirit doesn't say, no, this is true north. You may feel weird to you now, but it really is the case. I would say that if he's doing that to us, the best refuge we've got is back in the word of God to say, what did those who went before us hear Mm -hmm. when God spoke to them? If nothing else, go back and ride the same trails with the first century church and learn what they were asking about and how the prophets, the apostles, talked to them about how to find your way in this strange new world where the Holy Spirit is now here. Mm-hmm. At least that. Yeah. And I would say that those who read the Word, the churches that really spend time in the Word, not around it and not talking about it, but in the Word, are the ones that are going to be grounded Mm -hmm. because the Holy Spirit has to show up where his words are being read. Yeah. He loves to show up in the presence of those who are worshiping him in spirit and truth. Mm -hmm. And the real truth, I believe, is found there. Not the answers to everything, but the truth. Mm -hmm. So that's why we spend our time in this study. We call it Chasing the Word. And we're going to keep chasing the Word as we jump into some new books in the coming weeks. And I thank you so much, friends, for riding this trail with us. We'd love to hear from you. Please don't hesitate to drop us a line through the website or by email at info at compassionradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Even if-
Focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. 1 800 868 2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California 92859. Text the word compassion to 53445 or give online at compassionradio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.